decision? Yeah, I have. Have you ever paid the consequences for your hasty decision? Yeah, me too. Have you ever made a decision without checking all the facts? Well, no, we'd never do. Yeah, I've done that too. Then you find out the facts and you think, I sure wish I would have checked all the facts. I would have made a better decision. Uh, there's an old saying, never look before you leap. Have you ever leaped before you looked? Yeah, me too. Back in the 70s, 1970s, there was a song. And the lyric said, you better watch before you leap, for still waters run deep. And there won't always be someone there to pull you out. Have you ever jumped right in before seeking God in prayer? Sad to say I have as well. And that's what our sermon is about today. Jumping in before praying. It's about leaping before you look. It's about making hasty decisions without going to God first. And so I don't know where you are in your life, but I hope that you'll, you'll think of this, not just through the lens of the Israelite nation, but even through your own uh, maybe job or family or school or community situation. And we're looking at Joshua chapters 9 and 10 today, as Ms. Lillian said, and, and we're going to look at Joshua's faith. I have entitled this sermon, Never Trust a Gibeonite, Always Trust God. And uh, you're going to find out why here in just a second. As we get into this, though, I want you to know there's a lot in chapters 9 and 10. And so once again, this is just like, uh, you know, just, just drinking through a fire hose. I'm going to try to funnel some things down. But I encourage you to read uh, Joshua chapters 9 and 10, especially if you've got young men in your family that like to see battles and, and really cool things happen. Joshua chapter 9 and 10 is something to read as a family this week. So here we go. I'm going to set this up. The, the Gibeonites are, are a group of people that lived in the, in the land of Canaan. They lived near the Israelites. And actually, they weren't very far away from where Joshua and the Israelites were camped out in this particular time frame. Uh, now, the Gibeonites were shrewd people. They heard all that the Israelites had done with the help of their God. And I don't think that the Gibeonites truly believed in Jehovah God. Uh, because I think if they did, they would have never lied. They would have never deceived Joshua the way they did. But I will tell you this. The Gibeonites definitely feared the power of God. They heard about the power of God and, and they were afraid. You see, they heard what God's plan was for the land of Canaan. Joshua 9 verse 24 tells us this. It says, They answered Joshua, Because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you, and we did this thing. Since they were afraid for their lives, the, the leaders of the Gibeonites came up with this clever deception, and it actually worked. They put on their oldest, most worn-out clothes, uh, for us, it would be the equivalent of that, that, that pair of jeans and maybe a t-shirt that stays in the garage for when you're doing yard work because they're not allowed to come back into the house anymore. Uh, that kind of an outfit. They put on their old clothes. They, uh, they wore old sandals, that old pair of tennis shoes you have that's got some holes in it that, that will never smell decent. They, they put those on. They gathered up old wineskins and, and they put out they, they hung them on their, on their animals. They, they put dust on their animals. They, they actually got uh, that crackly, old, moldy bread and put it in their worn-out burlap sacks with some holes in them, tied them onto their animals, and set out to the Israelite camp with this elaborate story. 
They, they, they told Joshua and the elders, they said, we have come from a distant country. They never mentioned what that distant country is, but they said, we've come from, from a distant country. And we heard news about Egypt. We heard news about how you defeated the two Amorite kings beyond the Jordan. And we've come out of fear to make a covenant with you. And the story is quite ingenious on the surface. Uh, but if Joshua would have been just a little bit more patient, he and the leaders would have prayed about it a little bit. I believe that God would have revealed some things to them, uh, such as traditionally a group like this, no matter how far they traveled, would have traveled with soldiers to guard them. They, they may have traveled in their, their travel clothes, their sweatpants and their t-shirt, but just before arriving, they would have put on the very best they had. They would have brought those things with them. They would have dressed in fine clothes. Not only that, they would have shown up not with old wineskins and, and moldy bread, but they would have had gifts from their country to present to Joshua and the leaders. That's how an envoy practiced in that day. If, if you were coming on behalf of a government, that's how you showed up. Uh, but Joshua and the leaders, and maybe it was just a, a burden in their heart. I don't know why, but they acted quickly. They didn't investigate the story. They didn't look deeper. And most of all, they didn't pray and they didn't talk to God about this. They, they uh, leaped before they looked. Uh, let's look at Joshua chapter 9, verses 14 through 16. It says, so the men took some of their provisions. This is the Israelite men. But did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that, they, that these people were their neighbors and that they lived among them. Now, I'm not trying to break down Joshua and the, the Israelite leaders, okay? But we need to learn from their mistakes. Very simply put, they should have prayed. Uh, they should have, you would think, that they would have learned this lesson after the battle at Ai, after Achan, when, when they acted on their own, when, when the spies went to Ai and, and they came back and said, oh, it's, it's a, small, a small city, we can beat them with just 3,000 men, no problem again. It's, it's an example of when they didn't seek God, where they, they leaped before they looked. And, and you would think with that being a, a recent thing, they would have considered that, especially that it cost the lives of 36 of their men, families are without husbands and fathers and that kind of thing. And they just... They didn't learn that lesson. Have you been there? Has it taken you two or three or five times to learn a lesson maybe? So I'm not busting their chops, but I want to encourage us today. You see, Joshua could have consulted with the high priest. Uh, the, the high priest had this, this, this breastplate and it had these 12 stones on it. It's called the Urim. And God many times would reveal his will to the Israelites through these special stones in the high priest's vest. Uh, but Joshua and the leaders... They didn't do any of these things. They didn't pray. They didn't go to the high priest. They, they just believed the lies of the Gibeonites. And actually, the Gibeonites didn't just tell one lie. They weren't just like, hey, we're from far off. We're here. They told five lies. The first one was they said they were from a faraway country. Then they lied about their clothing and their food. They lied about themselves, giving the impression that they were a special envoy on a special mission to, to restore and, to, and to, to bring peace they even went as far as to call themselves servants to the Israelites. But the reality is they were enemies of the Israelite nation. They also said they came in the name of the Lord, which was not true either. Now, they came with fear in their hearts and lies 
on their lips and they literally deceived Joshua and the leaders and Joshua and the leaders fell for their lies hook line and sinker so to speak uh, but Joshua being a good moral man and a man of integrity and a man of his word he was honest and, and I think he probably trusted most people to be honest because he himself didn't act in that way but long story short they were duped have you ever been duped have you ever trusted someone at face value? How many times have you leaped before you looked? I have to tell you, as a, as a minister, I've learned to ask hard questions of people who are asking for things. Uh, not because I'm a jerk, uh, but because I've seen a thing or two. I've been deceived before. The, the church has, you know, we want to help people. And church leaders have to deal with these kinds of things on a regular basis. And so, so we do ask for wisdom. It's one thing to be cheated out of some money. It's another thing to be deceived and fall into sin. And that's really what we're talking about here today. Joshua and the leaders made this hasty decision that led them to sin. You see, God had commanded them, do not make a treaty with any nation in Canaan. And now, right after reading God's laws to the people, Joshua and the leaders fail. Church, it's a great place right here to remind us that Satan is the master deceiver. He's the father of lies. He came as a serpent in the Garden of Eden and he deceived Eve by twisting God's words. And, and he's been deceiving people ever since. And so you, you remember when you were a kid, you wish you, you could predict the future. You knew what was going to happen next. Maybe that was just me, but I think a lot of people did that. As an adult, I thank God. And, and I realize he is wise by not letting us see into the future because I realize my opinion. If we could see into the future, I think it would really paralyze most of us. If you knew you were going to be in a car accident this afternoon, you would stay at home. If you knew uh, or if you could see all the things that your, your child was going to face in this life, you would, you would keep them home, you'd keep them wrapped in bubble wrap and a helmet, and you wouldn't let them climb trees, and you wouldn't let them catch snakes. Right, Angie? Oh, no, you wouldn't let them go be kids because, oh, no, they're going to get hurt. If you actually knew what was going to come next, I really think we'd be a lot more reserved. Uh, it means we would not live our lives, which is what God intended for us to do. And so if, if we always knew what was around the next bend, I think it would hold us back. And so our conversation today has some amazing miracles in it. As a matter of fact, it's got one that has never been repeated since, as well as God keeping his promise to Joshua. You see, in the very beginning, God told Joshua that if he would be strong and courageous and he would obey all of his commandments, that he would be successful. He also told him if you do those things, every piece of ground that the Israelites stepped foot on, God said, I will give that to you. He also had an angel of the Lord appear to Joshua before the battle of Jericho and tell him that he was the command, commander of the Lord's army and he would lead the way. In that particular case, God reveals to Joshua the victory of the future, what's going to happen. God assures them of victory. If they'll be brave and obedient, he promises to lead them in battle. And, and if God is leading, then victory is definitely assured to us. Now, let's look at this amazing battle today. And we're going to make some applications to our life. Now, chapter 10 in Joshua starts off. There are five southern kings joining together. Uh, they're here in this painting. And they look very sad. Well, there's one king and five crowns, if you're looking. And so... Um, so here we are, we have these five kings. And these five kings are angry. There would have been six kings, but the Gibeonites left the pack 
because the Gibeonites got scared and they went and they worked their own deal with Joshua and the Israelites. And so upon finding all this out, these five southern kings joined together and they're coming full force to attack the Gibeonites. Uh, like I said, if you've got young kids, especially that are looking for adventure, read this because it's a crazy battle. But, but they're, they're furious with the Gibeonites. And so they're, they're mad because they surrender to the Israelites. They're not willing to help them fight against them. And so they're like, hey, you know what? We're going to attack the Gibeonites. Well, the Gibeonites immediately send out an SOS to Joshua. So the little guy goes running because that's how they sent SOSs. They didn't have cell phones. He runs down and tells them what's going on. I can imagine, because I have this crazy imagination, that the Israelites, especially the, the warriors, they're probably not excited to go help the Gibeonites. They're like, man, do we really have to do this, Joshua? These guys, they pulled a fast one on us. But they made a covenant with them. Even though they received them, or they deceived them, Joshua made a covenant with the Gibeonites, and so the Israelites would keep their word. They would uphold God's name, and they would come and save them. Now follow along in your Bibles, if you will, as I read Joshua chapter 10, verses 6 through 15. Here we go. This is where it gets really good. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hands from your servants. Don't leave us alone. Come up to us quickly. Save us. Help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with, such a, with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Ezekah and Machedah. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones then the sons of Israel killed with a sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, and this is a very bold prayer, Sun stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Aijalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies is this not written in the book of Joshua? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There's been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Those five Amorite kings, they were killed. And I want to make sure we don't miss something here. This is very important. Even though God leads the way for Joshua and his men, God does his part. And I say all the time, God will always do his part. But they still had to do their part. They don't get to sit in the shade sipping lemonade while God did all the work. Joshua and his army had a part to play. They had something to do. First off, they marched all night long. No sleep. And I'm sure they were exhausted when they arrived for battle. And then they arrive at the battle. They march all night long. And then they fight for 24 hours. 
And they attack them very early, more than likely before sunrise. And they fight. And when the enemy begins to flee, they chase after them, even though they're dog tired. And then Joshua prays. And I mean, he prays a big, bold, favor-asking prayer, asking God to stop the sun and make the moon stand still so they can continue in battle. You see, when Joshua seeks God first, when he and the leaders of Israel and his men do their part, in steps God, and God does his part in a big way. God fights for the Israelites. God throws the enemy into a panic, and they begin to run. God rains down large hailstones from heaven and kills more men with hailstones than the Israelite soldiers did with their swords and their weapons. It's like, whoa. It appears also that the hailstones only hit the enemy. So this was not a freak nature thing. This was a God-ordered thing, these hailstones. Now, the book of Job says God has storehouses full of hail. So God just went to his ammunition bunkers and let loose on the enemy. Now you see, the God who put nature in motion can surely step in and alter and change it to suit his purpose and to care for his people. Uh, just in case you're not sure about that, there's a story about a young man named Jonah who was a prophet. And God told him to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, oh, I'm going to go the other way. And he got on a boat. And what happened with that boat? There was a storm. There were waves. They threw him over. There was a giant fish. You see, the God who puts nature into motion can also step in and alter and change it to suit his purpose. And that's what we see here. God answers Joshua's prayer. He stops the sun in the sky. Talk about a miracle. This is the only time in history, in the history of the world, that God stops the sun. There's never been a day like this before or since. And now you either believe this or you don't, and, and that's okay. But look at it this way. If we believe that God created the world from nothing, and that he hung the sun and the moon in the sky, then surely he has the power to stop it for a day. He has the power to control it and all the other things that would occur and make them okay. And there was also a time that he made it dark in the middle of the afternoon. Now we're going to talk about that in just a second. But friends, what you need to know here is this. The bottom line is this. God fights for his children when his children are true to him. Just like he said to Joshua, be strong and courageous and obey my commands and I will go before you. Joshua 10, 42 reassures us of this truth. Joshua captured all these kings and their land Caught them all at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Make sure you see this. Don't miss this. Joshua and the Israelites, they had to march. They had to fight. They had to go without sleep. And they prayed. And they had a part to play. But God had the lead part in the play. He was the commander-in-chief and he fought for his children. He even brought out the big guns. Hailstones from heaven. He stopped the sun in the sky for a day. God kept his promise even after Joshua and the leaders blew it with the Gibeonites. You know why? Because our God is a God of restoration. He's a God of second chances. That's why. He took their mistake. He took their sin and he turned it into something good. No other God does that for their people. These five kings came together. They came against the Gibeonites. So God put an end to all of them at one time instead of individually. I told you in the beginning, this was an amazing story with some really awesome miracles. And so how does that apply to us today? I'm glad you've asked because in reality, Joshua knew the future outcome before the battle even started. And he didn't know all the details. 
He didn't know how it would play out. Uh, and he had plenty of work to do. But God assured him of victory. God told him, don't worry. I will go before you. If he walked by faith, if he obeyed, it goes back to the beginning of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. The same holds true for us today. God's control over creation was demonstrated all the way through the book of Joshua. And today we saw how he demonstrated his ability to make the sun stand still at Joshua's request. Chapter 10 verse 12 showed us that. And now God showed his continued control over creation by extending daylight in order to aid in Israel's victory in the battle. Now we don't know exactly what happened. These miraculous events displayed God's ability to overcome darkness. But listen to this. Not only can God overcome darkness in his created order, but he has the power to banish the darkness of sin from our human hearts also. Amen. Ephesians 1.18 tells us, God overcame human blindness and grants his children the ability to see the light of his glory. It is seen most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. Those who see Jesus and respond in faith are transformed to reflect his image before the world. Remember John began his gospel by claiming in John chapter 1 verse 1 that Jesus was the light of God in human form. A light that came to push back the darkness of a world that was blinded by sin. John also wrote that people because of sin are unable or unwilling to see the light of Jesus. As a result, they choose to remain in darkness sometimes. And so what exactly did Jesus do? He entered the darkness. He experienced it in order to overcome it. The scene at the cross testifies to this reality. For three hours in the middle of the day while Jesus hung, beaten, naked, on a Roman cross, darkness filled the land. The entire cosmos testified to the fact that the wrath of God against human sins was being poured out on Jesus. And at this point, few would have thought this work was a means of ushering in the light of glory of the kingdom of God. As our crucified Savior hung on a Roman cross, there was darkness. But God knew that this was the only way to bring those trapped in the darkness of sin into his light. The Son of God had to endure darkness for them so that they could come with him into his kingdom of light. And after three days in a dark tomb, oh, Jesus emerged into the light, demonstrating that he overcame the darkness of sin. His resurrection was the first fruits of all those who, like Jesus, will experience the joy of life and the light and the glory of the resurrection. Now, if you haven't considered this before, let me ask you, do you like stumbling around in the dark? Or do you prefer to flip the light switch on so you don't have to trip over the couch or step on that Lego in the middle of the room in the middle of the night? It's just like God walked with and fought for Joshua and the Israelites. He will walk with you. He will sustain you. He will redeem you. He will fight for you. He will use you to amaze doctors sometimes. Will you do your part? Will you submit to the Lordship and the authority of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your Lord and your God, as we talked about in communion? I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe you need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptistry is ready for that. And maybe you're already a Christian. Maybe you've been following Jesus, but somewhere along the way, you, like Joshua and the leaders that we talked about today, stopped asking God what he would have you do next. Or where he would like you to go next and, and shine his light. Maybe for you it's time to just repent and rededicate yourself to doing your part in the kingdom work that God has called you to do. 
So as we come to our response time this morning, will you consider how you will respond to God's word today? Will you stand and sing our response song with us and respond to his word accordingly?